So we have finally come to the conclusion of Matthew 13. Way back seven or eight weeks ago, when we were in chapter 12, there was a, a series of encounters between Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees. You remember as we went through chapter 12, where they were um, questioning Jesus' authority and his power, whether he had the authority to forgive sins, whether he had the power to cast out an evil spirit, where that power came from. Um, every time he did something like that, he was being questioned. And then after he, he cast out the, the demon from the man who was uh, being oppressed there in Capernaum and and the people questioned, and then they said, you know, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. And he said that anyone who does the will of his father are his family. Then he went down to the shore and started teaching those parables that we had in chapter 13. And uh, that's what we've been looking at for the last six weeks. Most likely in the city of Capernaum, or actually just off the coast of Capernaum, in the Sea of Galilee. Um, we know that Jesus called the disciples, uh, at least some of the disciples, James, John, Peter, Andrew, Matthew, from the city of Capernaum. Uh, but with what we're looking at today, Jesus is leaving Capernaum and he's going somewhere else. He's going back to his hometown. And there's some stuff that happens here in his hometown that should cause us to pay close attention to how we interact with Scripture. So I'm going to ask you all to stand for our scripture today, Matthew 13, 53 through 58. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would... Through the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to understand the lesson that we find in this passage today. Help us to not suffer from the ailment that is so common among your people. Father, we pray this because of Jesus. Amen. Please have a seat. So Matthew says, Jesus finishes teaching the, the, the disciples... Uh, obviously the disciples are in the boat with him. Uh, there may be some on the shore who've been close enough to hear his explanations, but for the most part, the people on the shore are just those who are looking for the good religious story. The ones that Jesus spoke about when he said, seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear, they don't understand, they miss the point. So he finishes explaining these parables to his disciples and then he went away from there. He went to Nazareth. Nazareth is, by the crow flies, about 20 miles from Capernaum. Um, there are some biblical scholars. Uh, 
it, the trip may have taken him another 20 miles because of the direction the road goes through the hills and the valleys and stuff uh, between Capernaum and uh, Nazareth. That's really unimportant. It probably would have been a two- or three-day trip because he would have stopped along the way and ministered to people and talked to people and so on and so forth. Matthew isn't really concerned with time in his account. He's just, he says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he left. And he went to Nazareth. There's no mention of time at all other than this took place after that. This is one of those points where we don't know how long Jesus was in Nazareth before these events took place. We don't know if he arrived on Friday and was immediately in the synagogue on Saturday. We don't know if it took place over the course of a month or two while he was in Nazareth. In fact, there is evidence that this may have been kind of a collection of things that happened every time Jesus went to Nazareth that Matthew just kind of packaged all together because it repeatedly happened over and over and over again. However it occurred, Jesus taught in the synagogue. That makes sense. We know from the descriptions of Jesus' teaching back in Matthew chapter 6 and following that Jesus taught differently than the other rabbis. He didn't refer to commentators. He didn't refer to scholars. He didn't refer to other rabbis. In fact, in in, uh, the book of Luke, a passage we're going to look at in a little while here, um, in Luke, I believe it's in chapter 4, Jesus is handed the scroll of Isaiah. He opens it up, he reads it, and here's his teaching. Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And we're done. World's shortest sermon. He showed wisdom. He had more intelligence than the people would have expected. He, he managed to handle the Word of God differently than everybody else. And where the people of Capernaum were blown away. I mean, when Jesus gets to Capernaum and He starts teaching, these crowds just flock to hear Him teach. And people show up and people come asking for Him to reach out and to touch Him. And they're, they're blown away by the depth of His teaching. Here in Nazareth, the people had a handicap. That handicap was they knew Jesus. <laughs> they knew Him. He had grown up with them. They were familiar with him. They knew Mary and Joseph. They knew James and and Judas and the other children that are listed there. Oh, by the way, this kind of shoots a hole in the boat for the perpetual virginity of Mary. Okay? You got to do some pretty good language acrobatics in order to come up with these were his cousins. Because it's pretty clear in what Matthew writes, they weren't. Many of them had probably seen Jesus working alongside Joseph. As Joseph is in his workshop and he's working on a bench or he's working, sanding down a a project as a carpenter. Now, full disclosure, that word carpenter is an English word. The Hebrew or the Greek word rather that's used is the word craftsman. He could have been somebody who worked with stone as opposed to wood. Okay? Okay? But they probably saw Jesus working alongside. I'm reminded 
of my own childhood when I was a kid walking around the farm, trailing after dad, learning how to do things. That's what they had in their mind. Have you ever gone someplace and met somebody that you knew as a child? And you have a hard time getting past that picture of them as a child? I'm starting to have that problem with with people that I went to school with. I see their posts on Facebook. And I see them posting about their children. And in some cases, their grandchildren. (laughs) Whoa, time out. This, This picture doesn't fit. The picture they had in their mind of who Jesus was was not something you would associate with great biblical wisdom or miraculous healing. When Joseph smashed his finger with a hammer, Jesus probably didn't reach out and heal it because it wasn't his time yet. Remember how he responded to Mary at the wedding feast at Cana. It is not yet my time. We have a proverb that we use quite often well, we tend to use part of it, that summarizes this handicap. You guys probably know which proverb I'm talking about. It's not a biblical proverb. There's a second century poet and philosopher by the name of Apuleius who wrote a book called The God of Socrates. And this was in the second century, so sometime between 100 and 200 AD, he wrote this book. And in this book, we have the first recorded use of this proverb. Let me read it to you. Parit enim conversatio contemptum raritus conciliat admiratinum. Y'all caught that, right? Familiarity breeds contempt. Rarity brings admiration. We never say that part. Okay, you old people who learned it in Latin do. All right. So, familiarity breeds contempt. How many times have you said that or heard that? It is a very, very common observation of the human condition. Even though this guy was a pagan, he wasn't dumb. We lose affection for things that we are familiar with. Okay? So much so that people market to that particular condition. Have you ever bought a car from a dealership? You ever bought a car from a dealership? Uh Uh-huh. Right? You sit down in that car, one of the first things that you do is breathe. You're not even aware of it. But there is a smell. It is now marketed. You can buy air fresheners that are labeled new car smell. Because as we become more familiar with the car, as we become more accustomed to the car, as we drive the car more often, it starts to take on the odors that we bring into the car. It's familiar. And if you ever want to step into a new car, you're going to smell that new car smell. Right? Every person in this room has experienced this. Even James. We have a tendency to take our family for granted. Right? As a child, 
as a very young child, as an infant. A child will cry out when they have a need before they become vocal because they know instinctually that their parents are going to be there. It's taken for granted. We take those that we are familiar with for granted. I've mentioned in the past that there is a principle throughout Scripture that we don't tend to pay attention to. How many times in the Bible is the word command used? A lot. Okay? I didn't do a count. It was a rhetorical question. It was a lot. Okay? God only commands us to do things that we don't naturally do. God doesn't command... God, <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2... God creates Adam and Eve. He does not command them to eat. He commands them, don't eat from that tree. He doesn't tell them to eat. Why? Because we know to do that. It's something we naturally do. Some of us naturally do a lot of it. (laughs) You're not alone, okay? He doesn't, he tells Israel to avoid certain foods. Why? Because those foods are things that they would have normally eaten. And they wouldn't have been healthy for them. He tells tells them not to get into certain kinds of relationships. To avoid certain religious practices. Especially mimicking their neighbors. Even if we boil things down to the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, have no other gods before me. Why? Because God knew that our natural tendency, as as John Calvin puts it, the heart of man is an idol factory. We will find something to worship, even if we have to make it up. If we apply this to children, what is the fifth commandment? Honor your parents that your days may be long in the land. Right? Why? Because our nature is to take our parents for granted. Husbands. I'm going to pick on everybody here. Okay? Husbands are commanded to love their wife as Christ loved the church with that sacrificial love, placing her needs before your needs. Because our nature, guys... You can shake your head all day long. Our nature is to be selfish and lazy and to not care about her needs as long as our needs are getting met. Any of y'all that ain't nodding your head are just lying to yourselves. Wives are commanded to be in submission to their own husbands because it is the human nature to take the husband for granted especially if he's not living according to God's command. And being taken for granted means that you're taking him and treating him with contempt because he's just there to get his needs met. I don't care if his needs are met at all. Somebody's got to make the decisions in this house. It might as well be me. Right? Yes. It's the human condition. I told you I'm picking on everybody. If you ain't married, 
You'll experience it one day. I'm just saying. So when it comes to Jesus here, among the people that he grew up with, they knew him. You can hear it in the words that Matthew has recorded for us. The first statement. Where did he get this wisdom? Where did he get these mighty works? Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter's boy? Aren't his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, aren't they all here? We grew up with them. Who does he think he is? Took him in here all preaching. High and mighty and holy and, and look at this guy. I, you know, I remember, I can hear the old lady in the congregation. I can remember when he was a little kid, I saw him and she didn't see him do any such creature. It was probably one of those brothers because they weren't the son of God. Contempt moves to offense. I got to tell you, the hardest people in the world to share God's word with are your family. You know why? Because they know. They know who you are. They know who you were. They know what you've done. And they might only know part of it, but they know. And so when you come in and you start talking about these things, it's very easy for those who are familiar to get offended. See, we take somebody for granted that we know who they are, and that familiarity gives us contempt for who they are because we really just, meh. I know them. What's the big deal? You, know, you hear all these stories of the, the people who are movie stars and, and rock stars and so on and so forth. They have all these shows before they were famous, and they interview people who knew them before. They're like, yeah, he's just a regular guy. Had a pretty good voice. He could sing okay. But for those of us who don't have that knowledge, that's where being a fan and, and being enthralled by their talent and so on and so forth, there's a difference. In Luke chapter 4, I mentioned it already. Take a look there, if you will. Luke chapter 4. starting in verse 16. This is a parallel passage. There's actually a very, very high likelihood that this is one of the events that Matthew kind of condensed into his account. Okay? Remember, Matthew wasn't worried about time, and he wasn't necessarily worried about detail. Matthew was talking about Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. Luke, on the other hand, was a doctor. He recorded every detail. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 20, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless. Now, here's where the the tide starts to turn. And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Jesus reads the scripture and he says, Today... This is fulfilled in your hearing. And everybody spoke well of him. And everybody starts gushing. The hometown preacher boy has come back to roost. The hometown preacher boy has given us a good message. This is, that was a great job, Jesus. Well done. Good to go. All right. Now we heard that while you were up in Capernaum, that you were healing people. You were restoring blindness a vision to the blind, and you were given hearing to the deaf, and, and you cleansing lepers, and casting out demons, and, well, this is your hometown, so what you did for them, you ought to do more of it here, right? Why wouldn't Jesus say yes? No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Sounds like they were pretty accepting. Except... <laughs> When Jesus pointed out what happened with Elijah and Elisha, how there were many widows in Israel and many lepers, that the only ones who were cleansed were foreigners, the only ones who were healed were foreigners, the people got mad. Why? They weren't listening to Jesus' message. They weren't responding in faith to what Jesus was teaching. They were looking for Jesus to take care of them because we're his hometown. We're his people. See, think about this. In Matthew, isn't Mary his mother? And these are his brothers? And his sisters are here in town with us? Of course he's going to take care of us. There's a problem. How did Jesus' miracles take place in Capernaum? When did they happen? They were generally following a message, right? He, he preached, and then people were healed. People were cleansed. People were delivered from demonic oppression. Talked about this before. 
that the miracles that Jesus did were a demonstration of his authority and power as given by God. They were God's stamp of approval on the message that was just preached. They were God's signature. They were God doing that political commercial. I am God and I approve this message. But here, in Luke, they all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words coming from his mouth. Did they respond in faith? Did they praise him as Messiah? Did they recognize that he came as the Son of God? No. The gracious words that came out of his mouth. In other words, it went something like that. Gee, Jesus, I remember when you was knee-high to a grasshopper. That was a great sermon. What are you doing for lunch today? Remember when we used to play soccer together? Let's go hang out at the pizza shop. They didn't respond in faith. They couldn't get past the Jesus that they grew up with. They were looking for a handout. They were looking for Jesus to do some of these magic tricks for his hometown folks. And so when Jesus points out the truth, why did they respond the way they did? <laughs> a little, little conscience, right? That's when the preacher goes from preaching to meddling. <laughs> when, when all of a sudden toes start getting rolled over, right? Wait a minute. You mean you're not going to do anything for us? You mean you're not going to perform for us? You mean you recognize the fact that we're just trying to use you? So what did they do? They drove him out of town to the edge of the cliff so they could throw him off. That's a far cry from where Matthew says he just didn't do many mighty works in his hometown. He didn't do many mighty works because it was hazardous for his health. The people wanted to kill him because all they wanted was... A lucky rabbit's foot in the shape of a Jesus. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus made the statement that you should not cast your pearls before pigs. You all remember that? Mm-hmm. What's he talking about? talking about having discernment with the message that you're preaching with the message that you're sharing with the gospel that you're sharing he's talking about not pouring what is precious in your life out to those who are going to trample it underfoot having discernment he demonstrates here in Nazareth that the work of God isn't just a gimmick to impress people and so, what winds up happening, the people who knew Jesus, the people who grew up with Jesus, the people who saw Jesus when he was little, 
who maybe heard Mary talking about all the things that took place surrounding his birth, who maybe heard Mary talking about when he was at the uh, when he was at the temple rather debating with the scholars, who maybe heard all these stories and figured it was just a mom bragging about things. I don't know. They missed out on the work of God. They missed out on God's message. They missed out. I mean, that message there, the power of God is poured out on me to deliver the oppressed, to heal the blind and the lame, and, and all of that. They missed it. Why? Because they couldn't see past that familiar Jesus that they took for granted. They couldn't see past what they expected. We need to be cautious. We mentioned it a little bit in Sunday school this morning. We can get so accustomed to hearing the stories out of Scripture. We can get so accustomed to hearing the same stories over and over and over and over again. Part of the reason that I don't preach character studies or topical messages is because it's too easy to skip parts of the Bible. So I go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, because whether I like it or not, I have to cover it. <laughs> I don't get to pick and choose. Because when we pick and choose, we always have our favorites we go back to. We miss out on things that we have to hear. We need to be careful that we don't approach the Bible with that same kind of familiarity. Oh, me and Jesus, we're like this. No. No. No, we're not. Yes, more like that. This over here. We need to be careful that we don't come to church with that level of contempt for the gospel, with that level of contempt for the word of God. with that, And none of us would say that we do. But familiarity breeds contempt. Now the other half of that proverb that I read, that some of you have heard before, rarity brings admiration. Does that mean that we need to not read the Bible so often so that we have more admiration for it? Make it more rare? No, 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 no. I learned something while we were on our cruise. Actually, I learned it after we got home from our cruise, after we stopped in Cozumel, and uh, we were looking at at the jewelry and, and stuff in Cozumel, and and there was a particular gemstone that just, it's, it's really, 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 really pretty. Really pretty. And, and except for that little piece of paper that hangs off the back of the jewelry. That's really, really, really not pretty at all. Um, there's a lot of zeros on those. And I got home and I wondered, why is this particular, I mean, what's the most precious gemstone you know of? Diamonds, right? No, diamonds are mined all over the place, in Africa, in the parts of Asia, and diamonds are, now they're plentiful. We've got so many diamonds, we use them to make drill bits and saw blades, and hey, diamonds are all over the place. They're valuable because we have uses for them. 
because of their hardness, but not because of their rarity. No, this, this particular gemstone, I, why is it so expensive? Why is it so valuable? Because there is a 14 square kilometer area in Tanzania, and only in Tanzania, where this stone is found. 14 square kilometers. That's not very big. That's not a big area to get rocks from, to sell. See, so what we call those things is precious because of their rarity. Precious gems. Glass is not a precious gem. Glass is glass. It may look, if you cut it right, it may look like a diamond, but it's glass. Right? Rarity. Preciousness. We need to treat our encounter with Christ in the pages of Scripture as unique. We need to treat our time that we come together to worship. We do it once a week, but it's still once a week. And, and, you know, I'm going to be honest here. There are 12 other people in this sanctuary that I see on a pretty regular basis. We need to treat that as precious, as rare, as unique, as special. Because that's what makes us value it. Otherwise, we become familiar with the service. We become familiar with the people that we worship with. We become familiar with the the Word of God and the stories contained within it. And then we start to grow that contempt. That contempt turns to offense because I don't like anybody that I'm close to to tell me what's wrong with me. Right? It's one thing if a, if a perfect stranger comes up after hearing me one time and says, you know, you're kind of a jerk. Well, your opinion doesn't matter to me. But if somebody who knows me, who comes up and says, you know, you're kind of a jerk. Hey! And then an offense, that contempt, becomes an outright rejection. When we start to feel that contempt, when we start to feel that familiarity, I want to encourage you to root it out. Maybe that means you need to flip to a different part of the Bible to read. And, don't don't all have a heart attack when I say this, maybe that means that you take a Sunday and worship somewhere else. Not because I'm trying to get rid of you. But because that's a good way to break out of the familiarity. To break out of going through the motions. To break out of this idea that I'm just here because, well, this is where I'm always. 